0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to In My Downtown, a podcast by the Michigan Downtown Association. This is Annette Knowles. In today's episode, we explore programs introduced by the City of Charlevoix to address its dearth of workforce housing. Although the lack of affordable or attainable housing is a national issue, it's important to show how solutions can be localized to a community. DDA Executive Director Lindsay Dotson shares how the City and DDA leaders conceived and implemented their approach. Join our conversation in progress. Join us again. It seems like there's an awful lot going on in Charlevoix and just more um, things that people can learn from. And today we're actually talking about uh, some tactics that were used in Charlevoix to help sustain a level of affordable and attainable housing. But before I get into the details, I wanted to ask you why you think the topic of affordable or attainable housing is important to downtowns in general, and more specifically to Charlotte?
1: Oh, I feel like that my answer could be so long because it's so important. Um, Obviously, housing should be attainable for everyone, right? And so if you want people of all backgrounds to be able to enjoy events and have a job and do those sorts of things in your community, yet they can't afford to live in your community, there's a major disconnect. That's essentially what Charlevoix has been dealing with for over a century, (laughs) just because of our touristy kind of appeal. And that, you know, we've kind of always had that It supports our economy in in the summer months. So to acknowledge that it's a major what keeps our community alive while also making room for the people that have to be here to maintain the community so that others can come and enjoy it. It's just a matter of do you want to be a Disney World or do you want to be a living, breathing community kind of situation for us, basically. So I've heard a lot of different conversations about resort type towns. You know, if you think about places like Vale, Colorado, or even places like Orlando and, and places that have these major attractions, and how they deal with housing for employees and how some of those situations are very separate from the community, how they have major housing complexes that are busing employees in for the day to go to work, for example, and then busing them out back to their little complex, for example. Those people probably don't feel like they're a part of that community at the end of the day because they don't get to stay there, right? And so when someone talks about, oh, well, why don't you just build a bunch of affordable housing out in a cornfield somewhere? It's like, yeah, well, we don't have public transportation. So if that person doesn't have a vehicle, how are they gonna get to their job? So there's a lot of big picture things uh, that contribute to why.
0: Now you mentioned, Obviously, Charlevoix, for those who aren't familiar, is, you know, northwest Michigan, up by Lake Michigan. A lot of tourists, a lot of vacationers, a lot of seasonal people. What other characteristics?
1: Clearly, like there is a house on the ground that is only used for maybe a couple of months out of the year. So there's space that's underutilized, generally speaking. The family that owns that house probably doesn't view it that way, right? But we have built out our environment to accommodate people for only a portion of the year. Then we also have this, especially after the pandemic, and it was a problem before. So I'm I'm making that very clear because we were dealing with this issue well before COVID-19 where we just have this heightened sense of value property values here because of the fact that many of our summer residents are extremely wealthy people and they most of the time come in and are able to purchase properties it makes it very very competitive to say the least yeah it's it's really interesting it's an interesting market that it doesn't seem to be based on any sort of reality so Lindsay, you you
0: mentioned quite a bit of numbers and statistics about the households
1: there of course census data ESri reports but then building on that and di- diving deeper we benefited greatly from two studies that were done by the nonprofit um, called Housing North, that is kind of doing a lot of work in our region of Northwest Michigan, not only doing studies and releasing these reports, but also putting feet on the ground and kind of adding capacity to local units of government for housing solutions um and so one study they conducted um before the pandemic kind of and it was very specific to they broke down information per county and then even went into per city within the counties um and then post pandemic they did another kind of housing gap analysis to identify how many units are needed and um, really kind of dug into where where they're needed based on location um, and also pricing and you know what types of units because we're not just talking about single-family homes also like that's a thing all of those reports and um, also the medc's website um the site selection website i'm not sure if you're familiar with that but um, it's a really great, like, kind of go-to tool that I always refer to when needing quick stats about a community.
0: So you obviously then have have a status of housing in Charlevoix that has um, been documented through some sort of data collection process where you have some statistics that help set, shed some clarity on what the issues were in Charlevoix. So I'm sure you're then at a place where you're starting to brainstorm some solutions to those problems. Did you consider other types of solutions? Did you have any anything that you considered before you chose to move forward with the program that you did?
1: Well, yeah, there are, are kind of our journey was a long one, let's say. <laughs> so Housing North, it's, we first started they assisted the city as a whole with creating a program to incentivize a deed restriction that is basically a voluntary program clearly because when you're getting into deed restrictions you're talking in perpetuity you're putting this restriction on a property forever and the person who's going to do this is a willing participant, right? You're never going to force that on a property. They create they went through the process of creating that mechanism, tested it out on a couple of different projects that were happening in the residential neighborhoods. There have been some deed restrictions that were quote unquote donated to the city. So <laughs> it's it's been interesting and and that whole program was kind of modeled after one that was created in Vail, Colorado, that I mentioned earlier. And the whole idea for our deed restriction program, since our seasonal aspect of the community is one of the most damaging when it comes to the availability of housing inventory and the affordability, is that our deed restriction requires that the person occupying the home doesn't have to be the owner, must be there 10 out of 12 months out of the year acknowledging that sometimes people travel or whatever that basically if it's a renter or the an owner occupied unit that that person is the only person living there or family or whatever and so that that program was created and then funds there's a fund that was created in our um, county-wide uh, community foundation That is essentially always raising, like we're always raising funds for that kind of bucket of money to be a resource for any of these deed restriction projects that may or may not come to fruition. Then at the same time, our downtown development authority was kind of still thinking, okay, we understand that our downtown businesses have been struggling to find adequate number of help. Forever, this has always been a problem here. People can't find enough workers to fill the positions they need to fill to not even grow, just maintain the level of business that they're getting. Especially, and we, we all dealt with this, right? When the pandemic happened, especially when it came to up north communities, we started to see more people coming to visit because people felt comfortable coming up north because it's less populated, right? So we got busier and our our businesses then couldn't keep up with the demand because we didn't have as much help, right? These types of decisions that, that they're being forced to make are hard ones. And we're sitting back thinking, what are we gonna do? This is not something that can be maintained. And something has to be done and something has to be done now, you know, our, our overarching goal of creating a viable year round downtown used to look like let's throw some events in the winter. Let's tell people that we have businesses that are open year round, but clearly it it got more serious. (laughs) And so, um. At first, it was also intimidating to think about, okay, what can the DDA do about housing? Because that's a big topic. And the only other example of DDAs doing something about housing that I had ever heard of in my time in, in the field were upper, like, basically, like, vacant upper floor type rental rehab incentives that mm-hmm. that exist all over the country when we started to brainstorm okay what what can we do that that type of approach seems like a good one. It's like we, we we want to create an incentive but we also don't have a lot of vacant second floors in our downtown because our downtown is pretty full and we don't have a bunch of empty dilapidated buildings where a lot of those programs were successful uh, because they were created for downtowns that were largely empty at the time. That didn't really work. We couldn't take a program like that and rip it off and duplicate it. So we just, we had to really kind of get creative with how we were looking at what to incentivize essentially (laughs) and started to look at our downtown in a different way by identifying sites that were underutilized in ways that are atypical. For example, if it's just a single story building, can it be more than that? Can the footprint be bigger? If it has a second floor and it's just office space with only one occupant, can we reimagine that and turn it into apartments or condos or whatever? Once we started to identify the fact that we do have opportunities that look like that, we basically worked with the MEDC and Housing North, and we developed a brand new program, um, which is essentially a housing incentive, but it's also tied to the deed restriction to ensure that where our money goes is creating a new housing unit in the downtown that will be occupied year-round by either a renter or the owner. We don't want it to be a vacation rental, but also we we want that year-round activity because we all know that the impacts of a couple living in the downtown, we've all seen in the downtown world anyway, we've, we've all seen those studies where uh, a couple living in the downtown each each apartment can be about $40,000 worth of economic activity added to that downtown every year. And when it doesn't sound like that much, when you ask a retailer, hey, do you want a guaranteed $5,000 of extra revenue every year from this couple that that's going to live above you? They're going to say yes you know even if they they make a million dollars a year they're still going to want that extra um cuz every little bit helps how we landed on what we created which is our downtown housing incentive that is tied to our deed restriction program that
0: was a very long answer <laughs> yeah so in essence then the DDA makes funds available for rehabilitation
1: more or less yes so the one example so far for the grant that we've awarded That is an example of a rehabilitation, but there are other opportunities where it would be a redevelopment project. So, both applications would be eligible. So, it could be new construction/slash redevelopment or rehab depending on the property.
0: Okay, so if a building owner were wanting to do an addition that would include some housing units, that could be something that would be considered with this program. Yes. Oh, cool. So you mentioned that the, the two programs, the deed restriction program and then your housing incentive program are, are somewhat linked. Are there other incentives that were linked to those two um, or was this the primary, are, are these two programs the
1: primary? Our funds are specific to and only available for deed restrictions in the downtown, if that makes sense. And we're offering up to $25,000 to each property owner that is willing to enter into this type of arrangement. Also, it's interesting, and we didn't anticipate having to de- deal with this, but when you're talking about deed restrictions, people do get nervous. Um, it is, We've made it so that it's possible that a unit in a building can be deed restricted while the rest of them don't have to be, so that's fun because that's what we did with the project that we funded so far. Um, and it's still a win in our eyes, because it's better to have one than none, right? So it's just a, a the way that it's written out in the deed language, you just have to specify which unit is the deed restricted unit. We also, um, we do have other, other incentives, like an alleyway improvement grant, and of course, some tax abatement programs that people can take advantage of, tax credits as well, because of our national register nomination that's in progress for our downtown. And we definitely work to kind of pile all those things on top of one another so that projects can move forward.
0: I I understand that the layering of of resources (laughs) and capital is very important to pulling off um, any forms of attainable or affordable housing.
1: Oh yeah, especially in today's world.
0: So you mentioned a few programs. Um, how many, or what kind of progress have you made with implementation? Meaning, what have been the results? What 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 are the numbers? Like as far as the number of properties that you have um, transitioned.
1: So right now we, it's been actually it's been fun. Um, we have about six different projects that are in the works at various stages that are adding. Housing units to the downtown. And for our downtown, that's major because our downtown is legitimately, I think, about six blocks and they're small blocks. So it's not that much space that we're talking about. And each project is adding between two to three apartments each. So again, not huge sounding, but to us, it's major progress because we haven't seen this type of progress or really much movement like this in so long in Charlevoix. So, um, but of those projects that are happening, only one of them has been awarded our housing incentive programs uh, grant so far. And thankfully, the other ones are happening without it, which is, a really positive thing, in my opinion. Um, so the project that we awarded our grant to, um, is, is a really fun one because it's so multifaceted. But it was a building that they, they purchased from a gentleman who had had it for years. Um, he's elderly, so his family um, was selling it, and they They just wanted to have an old building in Charlevoix and really have done the project um, the right way in all ways that you can um, with restoring the facade and um, just bringing a beautiful historic facade back to its original glory, but also converted the the second floor, which had been a studio, essentially, and and this is a massive building because it's above two storefronts. That whole second floor was essentially unused before. Um, So there's going to be three condos up there. And then our deed restriction program and grant actually um, changed the outlook of that project because it encouraged them to add two additional apartments that are going to be in the lower level of the building. And so it added two more units that weren't planned before I got to them and bugged them incessantly. (laughs) And, um, and so those, those units are the ones that are going to be deed restricted and they're going to be garden level, quote unquote, but um, that's, it's a huge win in many ways and uh, an awesome project. So can't wait for those to hit the market because I'm sure they'll be full in an instant.
0: So Lindsay, you mentioned, I'll call it a lack of inventory, meaning you just don't have a lot of property available that could be converted, but did you encounter any other challenges or resistance in the community at all?
1: The main challenge or I guess resistance is just the affiliation with the deed restriction and and that came from even members of my board they you know there are some that are like no one's going to take advantage of this because that's asking too much and essentially some are willing we know that this is a very big ask that's why the way we set up the funding to you know go along with it is pretty good as far as what you're getting in return. Um, It's aggressive because we understand that we're asking for a lot with the deed restriction on the property. Um, And there are some willing participants and that's been demonstrated with the one that we've already awarded. And I mean, that deed restriction has been filed with the County. Like it's a done deal. There might be some who aren't willing to participate because of that like scary aspect of it, but, and so it's a tool that not everyone will love, but it's still a tool and it will be effective for very specific projects. And I think the the way that we address that challenge is the flexibility of only restricting a certain number of units versus the entire property That definitely kind of makes it less intimidating. Um, There's a perception that it lowers the value, the resale value of the property because, but again, that's only perceived, you know, time will tell if, if that is reality, Uh, but we do have some members of our community who are in real estate, who use that as a scare tactic when they're talking with their buddies. Um, and you know, just, that's kind of like the, the thing that they, they use as a warning, you know, that'll affect your resale value of the property if you do that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, it didn't prevent it from becoming a program and it ha- it's not preventing it from being successful so far.
0: Well, and you mentioned the important part of it is that it's voluntary as well. So yeah. you're not requiring anyone to participate, but uh, hopefully the guinea pig in this for your, for your implementation will see, and you realize some good results from that and be able to use that as a case study to show other property owners how beneficial this program is to Charlevoix. Right. Did you have any other partners in this process other than Housing
1: North helping you with um, facilitating the program development? Um, Medc they were um, also very much involved in the creation of the program through just like, well, what they used to call cat team or I am losing track of what they call their people now. But because we're a redevelopment ready certified community, they were very just hands-on with assisting us through the creation of our guidelines, which was really nice. And this was also during the pandemic. So we were all meeting virtually at at this time. So I think that allowed them to be more involved because they weren't having to be on the road to come to meetings kind of thing. So the timing of it may have worked in our favor. But they were very helpful. And of course, our city attorney and their legal team were very, <laughs> very involved as well to make sure we were doing everything the way we we're supposed to. Well,
0: those are really great answers, Lindsay. Before we conclude the podcast, uh, can you talk about any of the other projects that you have going on that are related to housing?
1: Yes. Um, so part of... The, you know, I've mentioned that there are a few private projects, redevelopment projects that are happening in our downtown, thanks to some of our efforts. And the other thing that is happening or in the works right now um, is largely thanks to our status of being redevelopment ready, certified through the MEDC We've been working on, um, we have a building that the city owns that's actually in the downtown right next to City Hall, where the Chamber of Commerce and um, Visit Charlevoix are located. And they, it, it was built as a post office, but um, is a rather simple one-story structure. And um, right now we have Smith Group as consultants working with us here to essentially reimagine what could exist in that space and go up as much as we can and perhaps expand the footprint a little bit to accommodate as much housing, um, on that parcel as possible. Um, in addition to, you know, keeping that, that current use, um, in the space and per- potentially adding some public amenities that are needed as well, like uh, another public restroom and things like that. So we're obviously still in the like dreaming phase of that, um, as, as I talk right now. Uh, but the fact that the you know, the city's even getting creative with looking at our resources and how we can get into Uh, putting our money where our mouths are, (laughs) is is really exciting. And, you know, we acknowledge that we don't have necessarily have the money to do the redevelopment project whenever we get to a consensus of what that would look like. But um, hopefully, we can leverage some, you know, some of our resources as a great partnership with a private investor. So that something that wouldn't be possible without our partnership can move forward in that space. So, so yeah, that that's our one of our next big things that we'll be working on this coming year, as far as just generating consensus around the plan and then um, working with the redevelopment services team to, yeah, hopefully bring in a partner to help us make it move or help us <laughs> move it forward because. Like I mentioned before, even though there may be a few units added to each of these projects, it will be a substantial improvement for our downtown and the size that we're working with.
0: Yeah, you're really right on point when you mentioned that, you know, it's going to take small steps and very incremental progress to help solve the housing issues that are prevalent not just in Michigan, obviously, but throughout the whole country. Um, and I have to applaud Shara LaVoy for taking such a broad-based approach in solving it uh, so that it's not just one aspiration or goal. You're, it seems like you're distributing your energies into different various programs. And it's not going to be one size fits all for Charlevoix or for anyone, for any community for that matter. Uh, Lindsay, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story about um, your efforts to improve the supply of affordable and attainable housing in Charlevoix. And I really look forward to hearing more about your progress as time goes by.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks to have you on the show again. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to In My Downtown, a podcast by the Michigan Downtown Association. Thanks to Lindsay Dotson for her guest appearance yet again, and thank you for tuning in.